You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Something dies in our place. Even though our hearts are still wicked, God says, I'm never again going to do what I did back there. But now there's going to be sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. Something's going to die in your place. And ultimately, someone died in our place. In today's message, Pastor Danny will teach about the days of Noah. God recognized Noah and his family's faith and obedience during such a corrupt time. After the floods, Noah made an altar for the Lord. Something had to die in their place. As Pastor Danny teaches today, it's a foreshadowing of what was to come in the New Testament. Jesus came as a living sacrifice. He died so that anyone who believes in him will have eternal life. God's promises are true, and he's waiting for you to make that commitment to him. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Genesis chapter 8 as he continues his message, Noah's Ark and the Flood. There's no escaping God. You can run, but you cannot hide. There is no place to hide from God. That's sufficient. The waters flooded the earth for 150 days. Wow. It's almost half a year. Sure, there was some good ventilation in that ark. Chapter 8, but God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark, and he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. Now the springs of the deep and the floodgates of the heavens had been closed, and the rain had stopped falling from the sky. The water receded steadily from the earth, and at the end of the 150 days, the water had gone. And on the 17th day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. God tells us exactly where it came to rest. By the way, one thing I forgot to mention, the Hebrew word for flood here, when we began in chapter 6, the Hebrew word for flood, it's the word for deluge. I mean, it was an, an absolute deluge. The New Testament Greek word where they translate the flood uh, of Noah's day, uh, it's the Greek word cataclysmos. And I'll give you three guesses, and the first two don't count as to what English word we get from that. Cataclysmic, of course. It was cataclysmic. Came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. In 275 BC, a guy named Barosus, a Babylonian historian, wrote, and we have record of his writing, of this ship that grounded in Armenia, some part still remains in the mountains, and some get pitch, the tar-like substance, from the ship by scraping it off. 75 AD, Josephus, the Jewish historian, 
records for us that the locals collected relics from the ark and showed them off during his day in which he lived. He also said that the ancient historians knew that he knew of wrote about the ark. In 180 AD, Theophilus of Antioch wrote, and I quote, the remains of the ark are to this day to be seen in the mountains. 1876, distinguished British statesman and author Viscount James Bryce climbed Ararat and reported finding a four-foot-long piece of hand-tooled lumber at a height of more than 13,000 feet. I just love this kind of stuff. Six Turkish soldiers claimed to have seen the Ark in 1916. A Russian aviator, Vladimir Ragavitsky, Claimed to have discovered Noah's Ark uh, when he was stationed in southern Russia, and I won't read all the report here, but he was flying, and he looked down, and on the edge of a glacier, he saw a boat that he describes the size of a battleship. During World War II, two pilots saw and photographed something they believed to be the Ark on Mount Ararat. 1936, British archaeologist Hardwick Knight was hiking across Ararat when he discovered interlocking hand-tooled timbers at a height of 14,000 feet. But look, that's kind of fun stuff. But let me just share with you, I don't need that kind of evidence to believe in the ark. <laughs> I don't believe, I don't need that kind of evidence. All I need is the word of God. And in the word of God, in the New Testament, Jesus' own words, which I'll read before we're done from Matthew chapter 24, because Jesus believed in the flood and the ark. That's all I need. Verse 5, chapter 8, the waters continued to recede until the 10th month. And on the first day of the 10th month, the tops of the mountains became visible. After 40 days, Noah opened the window he had made in the ark, and he sent out a raven. It kept flying back and forth until the water had dried up from the earth. Ravens elite about anything. So then he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground. But the dove could find no place to set its feet because there was water over all the surface of the earth. So it returned to Noah in the ark. He reached out his hand, took the dove, brought it back to himself in the ark. He waited seven more days and again set out, sent out the dove from the ark. When the dove returned to him in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. And that was the sign. Then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. He waited seven more days. He sent the dove out again, but this time it did not return to him. By the first day of the first month of Noah's 601st year, the water had dried up from the earth. Noah then removed the covering from the ark. He saw that the surface of the ground was dry. By the 27th day of the second month, the earth was completely dry. And then God said to Noah, and these are words they've been wanting to hear. They've been in this ark a long time. Come out of the ark. And you know they obeyed that immediately. You and your wife and your sons and their wives bring out every kind of living creature that's with you, the birds, the animals, all the creatures that move along the ground so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number upon it. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his son's wives, all the animals, all the creatures that move along the ground, all the birds, everything that moves on the earth came out of the ark, one kind after another. And then Noah does something that is the first record of anyone doing this. Noah then built an altar to the Lord. Good move. Some of you know the story of me and three other staff members here thinking we were going to die when we came up over a year ago from scuba diving and the boat was gone. I'm not going to tell you that story if you haven't heard it. And if you've already heard it, 
I'm not going to tell it again, but we thought we were going to die. When we were all back on the boat safely, the first thing I did was to say to the other three, first things first, down on your, down on your knees. And we got on our knees and we thanked the Lord that we had been saved. I know at least a little bit, a little bit of what Noah and his family are feeling when they get out of that ark. Wise move, Noah. He built an altar to the Lord. And taking some of the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The burnt offering is a complete whole sacrifice. It speaks of a complete dedication. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, and he said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of man. Even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. That's interesting. God makes a commitment to mankind, even though his heart hasn't changed. Never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. Some of us may know, and some of us are a lot smarter than me on these kind of things, but I'll just read you one little section of a commentary. This speaks of the profound climactic, climatic and ecological changes in the earth since the blanket of water vapors that were covering the earth has now been emptied. Now there will be seasonal and temperature variations. Before that, it was like the whole world was kind of like tropical. Things changed drastically after the flood. And of course, because that protective vapor wasn't there, man's lifespan one of the things that happens, man, lifespan was limited more as well. So God makes a commitment by grace. Then God blessed Noah and his son, saying to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. And here's one thing that changed. The fear and dread of you will fall upon all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air, upon every creature that moves along the ground and upon all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, now I give you everything. So obviously, before the flood, humanity, they were vegetarians. Everybody was. But now, God gives animals for man to eat. Under the law, God restricts uh, for the Jew which animals, and he says some are clean and some are unclean. That was to teach a lesson. And Jesus made that clear because when Jesus came, he declared all foods clean. So why now does God give the animals? Well, I have a strong conviction, and it's a conviction, I think, fairly strongly supported by Scripture. Now something living. God's commitment. Even though man's heart hasn't changed, but God makes a commitment. And now he gives him the animals. And as those animals shed their blood and die, they eat the animals after the animal has sacrificed his life for my sustenance. I think it's very simply typifying the sacrifice of Messiah. And what are we told in the New Testament? None of the blood of bulls and goats and anything under the law of Moses could ever be sufficient to take away sin. And yet, 
It was a lesson to be learned over all those years. There must be a blood sacrifice. The ultimate blood sacrifice under the Old Testament economy was the sacrifice of the Passover lamb. And we know that speaks of one who would come, who we look back and thank God has come, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Look at verse 4. It's fascinating to me. Chapter 9, verse 4. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. Hold your marker there just for a minute. Take a peek at Leviticus chapter 17 and verse 11. Here's what it says. For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. And there's that lesson again and again and again and again. The shedding of the blood. Something dies in our place. Even though our hearts are still wicked, God says, I'm never again going to do what I did back there. But now there's going to be sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. Something's going to die in your place. And ultimately someone died in our place. Verse 5, and for your lifeblood, I'll surely demand an accounting. And I'll demand an accounting from every animal. And from each man too, I'll demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Shed For the, in the image of God, God has God made man. So God here establishes human government. I could get off on this one. I don't need to. God establishes human government. And listen to me. He gives human government the responsibility, not just the right, the responsibility of capital punishment for murder. Not only for man taking the life of another man, for a human being taking the life of another, but he even says, I'll demand an accounting from the animal. And that's interesting because when you read places like Exodus chapter 21, verses 28, verse 35, not going to turn to it, God talks about an animal that kills a human being. And here's what you do to the animal. You stone that animal to death. That's all I have to say about that. Verse 7, as for you, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply on the earth and increase upon it. And by the way, if you're looking for a New Testament carryover on the responsibility and the right of human government for capital punishment, you just got to go to Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. It's in the New Testament, just like it is here in the Old Testament. As for you, be fruitful, increase in number, multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you, and here it is. Never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, this is the sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you. A covenant for all generations to come. I've set my rainbow in the clouds, and it'll be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I'll remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. 
Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I'll see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. And then God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I've established between me and all life on the earth. Every time we see a rainbow, we should immediately think not only of the relationship between that rainbow and the covenant we just read, that God will never again send a universal flood, but every time we see that rainbow, we should remember God's promises are true. His promises are true. He will never break his promise. And that rainbow, every time we see it, is a sign. God's word is true. God's promise is true. Verse 18, now the sons of God, sons of Noah came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These were the three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered over the earth. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father's nakedness and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders. Then they walked in backward and covered their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see their father's nakedness. Some people speculate wrongly on what exactly Ham did here. The word in the Hebrew says when he came into the tent, he gazed upon his father's nakedness. That's all we're told. But in doing so, he dishonored his father. Because the Bible clearly talks about covering someone's nakedness, and especially someone like your dad. Instead, he goes and tells his two brothers, and it seems like he expects them to come and also uh, gaze, but they do the right thing. And they walk in backwards, and they cover their father's nakedness. And when Noah awoke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him, he said, here's what he said, Cursed be Canaan. Wait a minute. Wasn't Ham the guy? Why is he cursing Canaan? This is a prophecy. It's a prophecy. Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves will he be to his brothers. The weakness of Ham was passed on to Canaan, and the descendants of Canaan we know as the Canaanites. And one of the problems they had was the terrible, sinful, perverted sexual sin. And I'm not going to go to Leviticus 18, but if you read Leviticus 18, do it on an empty stomach. They became the most perverse, wicked people. And it started right here with Ham. Some say the curse on Canaan, that was the curse on the black people, and the result was slavery. There's no evidence of that. As a matter of fact, the opposite of that in the Scriptures because the Canaanites weren't a race of black people anyway. Those were the descendants or not the descendants of Canaan. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. And ultimately, that's certainly what happened, and 
will happen. May God extend the territory of Japheth. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his slave. Now, just in summary, just in closing, in summary, what's happening here? What's happening here? After this tremendous story of God's deliverance of Noah and his family, then this righteous man comes out from all this uh, judgment. He and his family, uh, he gets drunk after building an altar to the Lord. One of his sons does this despicable thing of dishonoring dad by gazing on his nakedness. And then the prophetic, prophetic curse on now the descendants of Ham as they make their choice to follow dad's ways and they become more and more perverse, especially sexually. It's interesting. Every one of us, every one of us here tonight and every person on the face of the earth are somehow descendants of Noah and more specifically of Noah's three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now give me five minutes overtime because I'm going to take it anyway. The descendants of Shem became the Hebrew people. The descendants of Ham, the descendants of Japheth are pretty much most of us. They became the ancestors of what we call the Gentile nations. And it's interesting when you get to the New Testament. You have the gospel going out, and it goes out first to the descendants of Shem, to Israel first, because it's through Israel that all of our blessings and even the gospel and our Messiah come. Then you have in Acts chapter 8, Philip being sent by the Spirit to the Ethiopian eunuch, and he would be a descendant of Ham. And then not long after that, in Acts chapter 10, you have the Spirit sending Peter to the house of Cornelius and all those that he gathered with him, and all these uncircumcised believers with Cornelius uh, would have been descendants of Japheth. What's the point? God has another judgment. He's going to keep his covenant that he made, and the sign is certain of God's truth and God's promise that he'll never again destroy the earth or mankind by a universal flood. Peter tells us next time he'll do it by fire. And we aren't given the time. We aren't given the 120 years like Noah knew. And one of the most fascinating things to me is that Jesus... When he talks about Noah and the flood in Matthew chapter 24, here's what he says. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. But not because they had not been warned. It's because they did not pay attention. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man, as it was in the days of Noah. But not because people had not been warned. Don't be foolish. Don't take a chance on the door of the ark, and the ark is Christ. The ark is Christ. And if you're in Christ, you don't have to fear judgment. 
You don't have to fear death. You don't have to fear damnation. But it's only in Christ. And when the door is shut, there's no more opportunity. Don't take that chance. Don't make that mistake. Thanks for joining us today on The Living Word. Pastor Danny has been teaching through the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. Be sure to join us next time to hear more from this fascinating book. We also want to encourage you to read through Genesis on your own. There's so much to discover about the beginning of this world and the Creator who loves you so deeply. If you'd like to hear more teachings from Pastor Danny, be sure to visit our website, ccfstpete.church. Just click on Sermons to access our archive on YouTube. Don't forget to subscribe while you're there. That way you'll know as soon as we upload new videos. We'd love to connect with you too. So if you have any questions or would simply like to talk with us, please send us an email. You can reach us at info at ccfstpete.church. That's info at ccfstpete.church. Be sure to let us know how we can be praying for you. We'd love to meet you in person as well. So come join Pastor Danny for our weekly church services. Calvary Chapel Fellowship meets on Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. We look forward to worshiping with you. Find out more on our website. One more time, that's ccfstpete.church. That's all for today. We look forward to having you join us next time to continue studying the Bible right here on The Living Word.